You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Um, my name is Craig. We're glad to have you with us today. We are in a study of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and today, sometimes we've done little bite-sized pieces. Today we're going to cover the whole third chapter because it's really a unit. And so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. You can open it up to page 574. Some of you have your little 1 Thessalonians texts that you, uh, that you got that you're taking notes in. I hope that's going well for you. Um, but uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat you can turn to that page and follow along. And also, if you have any questions about the text that we're talking about that comes up during the sermon, if you text it to the number on the screen, we try to answer those as best we can during the week on a podcast that comes out on Wednesday. So you can go to the church website on Wednesday. You can subscribe to the podcast or go on Wednesday and hear the answer to your question and uh, all uh, uh, in a variety of things that we talk about on there. So you can uh, listen there. Today I want to talk about the theme, what a relief. What a relief. Um, I looked up the word relief, relieved on an online dictionary, and this was uh, the definition. No longer feeling distressed or anxious. Reassured is a synonym. What does it mean to be relieved? It means to no longer be feeling distressed or anxious to be reassured. And then you know how dictionary will give a, uh, uh, like a, they'll use the word in a sentence. Here's the sentence they used. Relieved parents who had waited anxiously for news. It actually wasn't a complete sentence, but this is the phrase they use. Relieved parents who had waited anxiously for news. I just thought that was such a great use of the word because if you are a parent and have been a parent for any length of time, you've experienced the anxiety of waiting on some kind of news. Maybe you have a little one and you're wondering what this physical symptoms he or she is experiencing and you, and you wait on a diagnosis for your little one and it is excruciating. Or maybe your teen is old enough to start going out, and uh, so one night they, he or she is out, and you are texting them, and there's no response. And so then you do the most audacious thing to your teenager imaginable. You call them, you know? So the, you call them, and there is no answer. And you are, I'm speaking as one who's been in these shoes, you are freaking out. And then you get a text about an hour later. Oh, you know, sorry, Dad, I left my phone in the car. What's up? What's up is I'm having a heart attack. That's what's up. In all caps. With that red face emoji, right? Um, (laughs) By the way, it doesn't stop when they graduate from high school. There is anxiety. As older parents in the room will tell you, there is anxiety. And from generation to generation, you, now I'm worried about my grandkids. So it's, it just, ha, you just it, it keeps going. But, but it, it's that sense of helplessness when you're waiting. 
Uh, when I was in college, my wife and I went on a mission trip. I have no idea. I look back at this now. I have no idea what we were doing. We were in college. And we went to Guatemala, a, a country which at the time when we were there uh, had been in civil war. And uh, so we were serving as part of this, uh, what they called a resettlement camp which I think now, I was looking back, I, I think what that means is these were people who were, uh, it was a refugee camp, but these were people who were like insurrectionists against the government. And so here's a bunch of naive college kids, throw them in that refugee camp. That, that's a lot of wisdom. And so we didn't really know what we were doing, but we shared the gospel and it was fantastic. There were the, the president of the country at that time was supposedly a Christian, and so he was allowing ministries to come in and, and encouraging them rather to do so. So I remember this one moment when we were in the back of a stake bed truck, sitting in the back of a stake bed truck, driving through kind of what looked like a jungle type area with a bunch of college kids from Texas. And I just remember, what I remember is I was sitting in the back of the truck and there's a guy in fatigues and an assault rifle standing next to me. And we're driving through the jungle of a country that's been in civil war with guerrilla warfare. And I just remember one of the guys on the trip looking over and saying, you know, right now, I am living out my parents' worst fears. <laughs> and that's exactly, and, and we just said it very matter-of-factly, but our parents, imagine when we got home, when we got home, the relief that they felt when we arrived back home safely. Imagine the relief you feel when the diagnosis comes back, your child is normal, there's no problem. Imagine the relief when the teenager calls back and you go, whew, okay, I'm no longer anxious. I'm reassured the distress is over. This is the exact tone of the text we're reading today. This is what Paul felt. This is what Paul communicates in chapter 3. The anxiety and the relief that comes when he gets good news and then turning to the Lord in prayer. That's what the chapter is about. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. This is God's Word. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way to you 
And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Each paragraph here reflects sort of a different, uh, a different uh, heart, a different emotion. I'm, I'm going to use a single word. He, he starts with anx- anxious. The second paragraph is about comfort. The third paragraph is about prayer. He is anxious to know how they are doing. He is comforted when he hears they are doing well, and he is praying that God may establish them. And I think this is going to be a very personal text for numbers of us in the room to consider in our own lives today. So you can feel sort of the emotional distress in Paul's words. Look at verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy our brother and God's co-worker. Now, we know that he's already, that he later says that we are suffering affliction ourselves, but we couldn't bear not knowing how you are doing. This idea of bear means to, it means to bear something up, to carry a load, to be under a burden, we could say, to bear it up. Look at verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. So he's saying we are weighted down, and we know how bad it is because when Timothy comes back and brings the report, he says, now we live. So you know how bad it really was. He's bearing a burden. He's laboring under this heavy concern for their faith. The last time he was with them, they had received the good news. He had shared the gospel. They believed in the good news. And then immediately persecution broke out, and Paul and his companions, they had to leave. After only being there a few weeks, they had to leave in the middle of the night. And so they've got these brand new fledgling Christians who are getting heat. Somebody's getting arrested. We read about this all in Acts 17. They're getting all this heat. Paul has to leave. He can't come back. We don't know why, but he says he cannot come back. And so he's worried about how are they doing. He can't call them. He can't send them an email. There's no communication like this. This It's 2,000 years ago. And so now he has this heavy burden. And he's actually fearful for them. He says in verse 4, I'm fearful that the tempter, I'm sorry, verse 5, that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So he's fearful for them. He doesn't know. He's concerned. Paul uses this same language in other places to describe himself. So in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, there is this passage, 2 Corinthians 11 is this passage where Paul talks about all the physical suffering he went through. And then he says, and apart from other things, meaning all the physical suffering he experienced, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is not weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? So he's saying, I carry this pressure, this anxiety, because when someone is weak, when one of the churches is suffering, struggling, limping along, being persecuted, losing people, uh, when one of the churches is weak, I'm weak. When, one, when someone is made to fall, again, that's the same thing he's saying here, I'm worried that you're tempted and you've, you've left the faith. When someone is made to fall, when someone is tempted and led astray, 
I'm indignant. I can't look at these folks that I love in these churches and someone walks away, someone's tempted and walks away, and I just go, oh, well, that, you know, that's just kind of church life. No, that, the, the, the fact that they were hindered, I, I have a burning, righteous anger in my heart that someone was hindered from following Christ. And so I'm affected by that. Paul is weighted with these heavy burdens for the churches he loves. Now, doesn't the Bible say that we're not to have anxiety? Paul's saying, I have anxiety for all the churches. Doesn't the Bible say that's wrong? Think about the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious, Paul the Apostle. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Or what does Paul say himself in another place? So 2 Corinthians, I, I have bear this anxiety here. I'm, I'm afraid that you've been tempted. I'm under this weight. Well, what does Paul say himself in Philippians 4? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Jesus says, don't worry. The, uh, I feed the birds, I'll feed you. Paul says, don't be anxious pray about it to God. And yet here he's saying, I'm under this weight. I, 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 uh, I sent to you to learn about your faith for fear that the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. In other words, that you're not sticking with the faith. So, so what is going on with this? Well, I think a couple things. First of all, Paul is human. Paul is human. He offers a window into his soul of the real pressures that he experiences. He doesn't give us a romantic view of missionary life or of uh, his work as an apostle. Secondly, um, I think it's worth noting that on one hand, Jesus' words forbid worrying. They forbid me from worrying about my own needs. But on the other hand, Paul is worrying about vulnerable new believers who are facing persecution. Perhaps there's a difference there in the context of what he is anxious about. He's worried that they'll be tempted to give up the faith. Now, it is certainly possible to sinfully worry for others. It's certainly possible to sinfully worry about others. But there's also something godly and loving about caring so much about the spiritual well-being of others that when they are spiritually vulnerable or when they are spiritually tempted or, or spiritually drifting, that that's heavy on our hearts. There's something loving about that. If Paul just said, oh, well, the, you know, we were there three weeks. Does that mean maybe that was a waste of three weeks? I don't know. You'd say, whoa, that's not very loving, Paul. But this reflects his love. It is a burden also that he does pray about. So Philippians 4, don't be anxious, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, pray to the Lord about it. Cast it. Well, he does that in verses 11 to 13. We're about to look at it. So he does pray. He does take his own advice in Philippians 4. So what is the line between carrying a weight and trusting God to be faithful versus carrying a weight and in essence, accusing God of not being faithful because we're so anxious. Where is that line between being burdened for other people in such a way that it reflects love and care 
and being burdened for other people to the point of despair, as if I don't believe God is really who he says he is. God probably won't be faithful here. God probably is going to let them down and let me down. What's the difference in those two? I mean, it's a, I think it is a very fine line that I can't define for you. I just can't define ultimately where the line is. There is a tension between, being, between carrying godly burdens and unbelief, the sin of unbelief, that God is not faithful. There, there's a line between there somehow, whereas one reflects love and one reflects mistrust in God. One reflects care for others. One reflects, I really don't believe God is who he says he is, or at least that's how I'm acting. One, one, is, uh, one, one probably turns to the Lord in prayer and trust. The other probably is just consumed with self-thought, self-talk and burden. I think those are some of the differences that show up. Listen, we wouldn't be loving if the spiritual condition of those we lead or those we care for or those we befriend didn't matter to us. We, we wouldn't really be very loving. And yet, often, here's the reality, their condition spiritually is out of our hands. And we must trust the Lord. We must do what we can and we must trust the Lord. We must pray, and we must trust the Lord. We must serve and care and speak appropriately to them, and we must trust the Lord. Here's a situation where Paul doesn't actually know how they are doing, but he is worried that they're drifting. That's the concern he has, that maybe they've turned away from God because they're taking heat for serving God. Here's a situation where Paul doesn't actually know how they are doing, and here's the key, he can really do nothing for them. He can't do anything for them. He's at a distance. He can't go back. And so he can do nothing for them. And this creates a burden that he can bear no longer. And that's how we get chapter 3. He can bear it no longer. He cares for them. And he doesn't want his labor, verse 5, he doesn't want his labor to be in vain. What does that mean? It means that he wants their faith to be real. He wants them to stick it out and walk with Christ and not give up. Otherwise, he feels like the, the preaching of the gospel and the modeling it, 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 if it didn't really stick, that would be such a disappointment, obviously, to Paul if it wasn't a real faith. Okay. None of us are apostles writing the New Testament. None of us are, you know, writing letters to people that, um, at churches that we founded. So we're all different than Paul. Can we acknowledge that very freely? We're all different than Paul. But I think the heart of this text touches many of us in this room. This is why parents, parents, there's parents in the room, parents whose teenager is wayward, you can relate to this text parent whose adult children walk away from Christ, they carry such a crushing weight, could bear it no longer. It's the spirit of this text. It, it's, it's feeling like, you know, what can I do under this crushing burden, Lord? It's why pastors and other leaders, Bible study leaders, small group leaders, who watch members of the group, members of the family, members of the flock wander away from Christ, feel the same weighty burden that Paul talks about here. The same anxiousness, the same sorrow 
I read a stat this week. Nine out of ten pastors in the U.S. quit their role before retirement. I think it's speaking of compensated pastors, people compensated pastors. Nine out of ten quit before retirement. I, and there's a lot of reasons to quit. There's a lot of good reasons to quit, why someone maybe does that for a season. That's, that can be very honorable and good. But I don't know too many lines of work that would have a 10% survival rate from start to finish to retirement. Pastors leave their roles for all kinds of reasons, but this is a common one. What Paul's talking about here, our labor would be in vain. We feel helpless, like what, we, what we're doing is making no difference. I'm a failure, that feeling. Now, I want you to know, I'm not about to read a resignation letter. Uh, I want you to know, <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Somebody, where's he going with this? Uh, I, I want you to know, by God's grace, I've got a lot of temptations. And because I say this, I'll likely be tempted this week on this one. But this is not a temptation I live with to, to quit what I'm doing. I don't live with that uh, in, as any kind of a regular temptation in my life. I stood up here last week and thanked you and said, well, it's our anniversary, what a joy uh, to do. But, but the times I have wanted to give up over the years, and they've been there, this is the reason. And I'm telling you this because this will relate, I'm about to make this relate to all of us. This is the reason. It's what he talks about here. It's the idea that the, the feeling of helplessness in caring for folks who, where there is the tempter, they're tempted and they leave the pathway. And the feeling for the shepherd is, I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I can't do anything to help people. I feel like my labor, what Paul says here, I feel like my labor is in vain. That means futile or useless. So I feel futile. I feel useless. I feel like I don't have the answers or I don't have the character or I, don't have, I didn't love enough or I didn't serve enough or whatever it is. Parents can feel the same way. And this isn't just parents and pastors, by the way, but anyone who seeks to disciple other Christians will experience this at some point. Anyone. Counselors experience this. Small group leaders experience this. Any ministry leader that cares for other people in any role experiences this. Anyone who's watched a friend walk away Someone you shared fellowship with at one point. Someone you shared your life with at one point. And, and they walk away and you, you say what you think you can say. And you pray the prayers you think you should pray. And you do the loving thing that you think you should do. And it just does no good. And you think, well, well we were such close friends. Why, was it something I said or something the church did? Could I have? And you look back with a regret. Well, if I just, maybe if I had done this, or maybe if I had said that, or maybe if I hadn't said so much. Any friend who's watched someone walk away gets what Paul is talking about here. And at one level, what I'd like to do today is just normalize that feeling and say, if you don't have that sense of burden, you didn't really care for the person or love the person that much to begin with. So should I be concerned that I have a burden for this person, this, this friend, my child, my parent, uh, someone that we, was in my small group? Is it wrong that I have this burden that now they're, they're, being, they're drifting away and I feel helpless and, and I feel this concern? The anxiety of all the churches daily is what Paul says. Well, I don't have that, you say, but I got this one person 
or I got this one kid, or I got this one friend, or I got this one relative. And I just want to say that if you feel that, you should be more concerned if you don't feel that than if you do. I mean, the real concerning thing is if chapter 3 is not in here. And Paul says, hey, I haven't been able to see you. I hope I'm able to see you somewhere. But, you know, we're all one in the Spirit. You'd be like, whoa, that's not very personal. But I long to be with you. I long to see you face to face. I can't stand it anymore. We're going through our own problems. It's persecution over here, but we can't really even afford to do this. But we're sending Timothy to you because I can't bear up under this pressure anymore. My prayer is for any of us that live with this struggle, that we trust God to work in someone else's life. My prayer is that we have the next section as our experience. Because what Paul says next is that he's comforted. Verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, now this is just almost a throwaway statement, in in all our distress and affliction, he's talking about what's going on with them now because he's not in the city. We have been comforted about you through your faith, for now we live. He's saying, once we got the news, Timothy came back and he said, hey, you guys love Jesus and you guys love us. And you don't think, what happened to Paul? He he snuck out at night. He left us. No, you, you have fond, kind memories of us and you want to see us again. And that's what we want with you. We're so relieved on a much smaller scale. The text came back. I just forgot my phone, you know. The diagnosis came back. Your kid is fine. Or in this case, the word comes back. Did you hear the prodigal has returned to Christ? Or the person we thought was a prodigal, we were worried about them, come to find out they love the Lord. They're still with the Lord and they love us. That, he says, is a comfort to us. Everything feels different. Now, this this has got to be some hyperbole. Now we live. They weren't dead before. But it's like, this this is like, this feels like living the colors are bright outside. The birds are singing. It's, it's like, wow, we are really alive. It cuts through all of what we're going through right now. Hearing from Timothy has brought us such comfort, knowing that you're standing with Jesus. And besides relief, he also experiences thanksgiving. He says, verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. So he's saying, we have such joy in the Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we have such joy in you that you're serving the Lord. How encouraging that this is. God has done this work. In other words, we felt helpless, but God sustained you. And that makes us thankful and joyful in God. Also, he says, we're praying night and day, verse 10. We pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. We're very excited. Timothy's come back to us and give us a report. There's a few issues. We want to supply what's lacking in your faith. That's chapters four and five, because this has been a love fest. The first three chapters have been, been really great. And the next two are great too, but he's going to start addressing some issues. There are issues in in Thessalonica that he's going to address. So we want to see you face to face and and, and sort of, you know, supply what you're lacking because you are lacking some things. We want to supply that 
And I'll go ahead and write a couple chapters about it. In chapter 4 and 5, he says, but ultimately we long to see you. So there's anxiety, there is comfort. And then he does what is so key. What he's been doing night and day is prayer. And he gives us a window into prayer in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So he really prays three things here. May God bring us to you. We pray God will bring us to you. Scholars say that probably happened about five years later. It was probably that much longer before. It was like the third missionary trip before he made it back to Macedonia. So may God bring us to you. Uh, Seems like that happened. May God enable you to grow in loving one another. So keep loving each other and others, not just one another, but those who don't know the Lord as well. He says that. May you love one another. And number three, may God establish your hearts blameless in the coming of the Lord. So he's grateful they're standing, yet he's not stopped praying. He's not saying, whew, what a relief. I don't need to pray. No, he's going to continue to pray for them that they may be established blameless. He's praying that they remain faithful here and now as they wait for the Lord's return. So in his prayer, we see the appropriate response to the burden Paul feels. So verses 11 through 13 really show the right response of two verses, one through five. Notice how he prays. He prays for the Lord. He says, um, verse 2, may the Lord, this is his hope, may the Lord, may the Lord direct our way to you. Um, and may the Lord, uh, no, I'm sorry, direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. May the Lord make you loving. Verse 13, may the Lord establish your hearts blameless. Where does his confidence lie? He's, He's burdened, he's sending Timothy, but his ultimate confidence is not Timothy. His ultimate confidence is not the Thessalonians. His ultimate confidence is may the Lord cause you to love, help you to grow up and mature. May the Lord establish you in holiness. See, here's what Paul knows. Even though he feels all these things and he wants to do something and he sends a messenger to get the word out, get the word on them, Timothy, even though he does all this, here's what he knows, that you and I cannot change another person's heart. Why is he praying for the Lord to establish them? Because ultimately, Paul can't establish them. Even if God answers number one, may God bring us to you, prayer requests number two and three still matter. May God cause you to love one another. May God establish you and make you grow in Christ. Here's the reality that Paul gets, and we all need to be aware of. You cannot give another person new life. You can share the gospel. You can live a life that reflects godliness, that makes the gospel in your gospel in your life line up. You can be bold in sharing the gospel. Um, you can pray, but, but you cannot persuade in your own words, you can't cause a dead heart to live by just what you say. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, and that is someone's response to the Lord. You can't believe for someone else. You can't repent for someone else. You can't sustain the faith of someone else. You can help, you can love, you can serve, you can pour out your life, you can sacrifice, you can do all these things, but you cannot ultimately keep someone secure 
It's the Lord who keeps his people. It's the Lord who saves. It's the Lord who sanctifies. And in sanctification, it is that person's response as well. What Paul is doing in this prayer is, is, he is he's establishing lines of responsibility ultimately. And he's saying, Lord, I pray that you would do this. He's not only making requests here, but he's also giving us a window into who God is. And that's what prayer does. Prayer, it, it reflects the character of God. Biblical prayers certainly do. Someone said the Lord's prayer is not only a prayer, it's, it's a statement of faith. It's like a statement of what do we believe to be true about God. And that's true with this is. What do we find out? God is the Father himself. So he prays to God the Father. Guess what? The Father loves his children more than Paul. Does Paul love the Thessalonians? I assume so. He's majorly burdened by their condition, but he doesn't love them anywhere like their father loves them. That's why he prays to the Father. I pray to the Lord Jesus. Lord means ruler. Jesus the sovereign. I, I pray for the God, to the God of all power to, to act in your lives. So he's praying. This is the power of prayer. It not only uh, lays our request before the Lord, it not only honors and worships the Lord, but it reminds us of the character of God. Oh yeah, that's who you are, the Father. When I pray our Father in heaven, I'm praying something about your heart for your children. It's setting me with a vision for who you are and what you're like, God. So I can say over here and be do all this self-talk, doubt, play out worst-case scenarios, um, and act as if God, act, be a practical atheist, act as if God's not even there, God doesn't even care, that's wrong. Or I can come over here, I can say, Father, and remind myself of the faithfulness of God to his people. How do we apply this? Well, a couple thoughts as we wrap up here. If you have good news about the spiritual state of those you love, you should celebrate and thank God for it. If there's someone in your life that is serving Jesus this should, that you care about in your small group, um, you know, a friend that came to Christ that you had some part to play in that, uh, your children, your brothers and sisters, your parents, your neighbor that you fellowship with, what, whoever it is, I don't know who it is, but anyone that it, you've had some care for as a friend or as a leader in their life, and they're serving the Lord, that is a place to say, thank you, Lord. You are faithful. There is a joy in that. Sometimes we can, we can be, feel more pressure and burden and darkness for the wandering one than we do experience any joy and light and brightness for the many who are serving the Lord in our lives. So we want to thank God as he does here. Timothy's report brings relief, thanks, and joy. I had a conversation very recently with someone who's not in this church, but used to be. They're somewhere else. And in this conversation, this person was telling me very unexpected things. Um, not like I had no idea, but unexpected about how the Lord used me in ways I didn't even know in their life. Now, I could also share about deep discouragement that I have right now about people who, that I love that aren't walking with the Lord. So I could go that route, um, but I'm going to tell you this route about someone who encouraged me. And this person was just telling me uh, about this and this memory stuff. I was like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that. Maybe it didn't have the same impact on me. 
And, uh, but it, did on, it had this profound impact. Even this one place we went and would regularly eat and share the Lord, and I was kind of discipling him and some others. And he said, I take guys that I'm discipling to that same place in another city and do the same thing. And thank you for modeling. I was like, wow, I might be able to make it to the end of 2019 off that encouragement. I might be able to float into the new year. It meant so much. So if someone has invested in you, young people, this is something to communicate to your parents, your love, your gratitude for their investment in your life. To the, if you've got a small group leader who's cared for you, someone who's counseled you, uh, just know, and I'm not fishing for a compliment. I told you I'm good to, through the end of 2019 because this recent phone call. But anybody that's invested, you have the power to bring encouragement. Paul's word is when we found out you, we invested and you're serving the Lord, we're living now. You have the power by your words through the Holy Spirit to bring that kind of relief and joy and thanksgiving into someone else's life. That's a missed point, I think, in this passage. You could be Timothy bringing the report. Well, really, you could be the one saying, you're the Thessalonians saying, thank you. We're doing well. We love you. Maybe it's a pastor you have in another city at another church you could dash an email or a text to or a small group leader or, like I said, your parent or somebody, someone who discipled you way back in the day. could mean a lot to send them a text. Hey, thank you for 20 years ago. I love Jesus because of your investment, and I'm still walking with him by grace. That can mean something to somebody. Number two, if your heart is heavy because someone is drifting or tempted to be drifted, and you're bearing the weight of that, I just want to communicate, yes, it could, you could take it too far, but the general burden of that is normal, and it can even be a good and godly sentiment if it's directed to prayer. Because it means I love you, and your well-being, when it's in question, oh, it hurts. And it makes me want to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, please intervene. Paul and his companions were bearing it, and they were bearing not knowing and being helpless, not able to help because they don't know how they're doing and they can't get to them. That burden is normal and can be good, and it demonstrates love. Recognize your limitations. Here, Paul had a plan to do something, but he ultimately wasn't trusting the plan. He ultimately wasn't trusting that, that, that um, Timothy would sort it all out. There are means, and then there is the ultimate source, which is God. Timothy was just a means, but it was God. I love the language here. He says uh, in verse, oh boy, I didn't write this down. I hope I can find it real quick. He says of Timothy, um, we sent Timothy, our brother, co-worker of the gospel. Okay, verse 2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you. Timothy's going to come establish your faith. But what does he pray in verse 12? And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Listen, Timothy is lowercase establish. Very, he's going to do something, but the Lord is capital. It is the Lord who does the establishing. He will use Timothy, but Timothy's not ultimately establishing you. God is. And so we pursue the Lord in prayer. He is the only one that can convert and sustain. And this makes the heart of this prayer so powerful. May the Lord do this. 
While the burden of Paul's heart is real, there is a sense of rest that comes when we ultimately put the responsibility where it belongs, ultimately on the Lord, I'd say also on the person as well. Paul is accountable to God, called to care for the Thessalonians, but he's not ultimately responsible. He didn't bleed and die for their salvation. He is not the great shepherd that no one will be able to take anyone from his hand. He is not, Paul is not the one that will secure them until the day of Christ Jesus when he returns. That is the prerogative and the work of God alone. And when we become overly responsible in our hearts, then we can can become burdened to the point of despair when we're overly, overly responsible, then we're denying the other person's responsibility. They are responsible to God. They will answer to God. We, we can miss their personal responsibility, and we can miss the power of God to act in their lives. Here's the reality. It is the Thessalonians' responsibility to follow Jesus, and it is ultimately God's responsibility to establish the hearts of His people in holiness. And praise God, we get to play a part in other people's lives, pushing them, pointing them, supporting them, caring for them, listening to them, bearing their burdens, everything we can do to point them to Jesus so that they follow Him till the end of their days but we're not ultimately responsible. And this prayer reflects that. We pray to a good God and Father who establishes people in their faith. It is the Lord's responsibility to return for his people. Paul will not return. He says, I hope to get back, but there's a greater return coming. That's when the Lord returns. Paul is confident in the Lord's work in this prayer. Think about Philippians 1.6. He says the whole same thing. I am sure of this. Paul, what are you confident about? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The not knowing and the helplessness is an incredible burden that keeps me up at night, I'm sure Paul would say, verses 1 through 5. If there's an anxiety that I carry, a burden of care and love and responsibility with the lowercase r for these churches. But what I know is that he who began the work is ultimately responsible. He who began the work in you will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus He is our hope, and we cast our care on Him. It's appropriate to feel the weight of love, but we ultimately want to reflect that back to the Lord who is faithful, and only He can complete the work He's started. We can trust the good, faithful, loving Father. We can trust the Lord to establish and keep us until the day of his return for ourselves and for those we love. We can trust the Lord to open the eyes of the blind, to raise dead hearts to spiritual life, to impart new birth to those who are dead. We can pray, we can witness, and we can be confident God is a saving God. I love this chapter. It reflects the heart, the heart, of Paul, which is the heart we all want. And may we trust the Lord with those we love, those in our church, those we love outside our church. May we trust the Lord that He is faithful. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. 
To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 